Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. I am stoked to share this interview I had with the guest for today's show, Matthew Brayman. He is a licensed clinical social worker and the founder of Verve Psychotherapy, serving folks in New York and Georgia. He specializes in men's issues, mindful masculinity, new dads, parenting, and more. So in this episode, we talk about the experiences that led him to the mental health field, uh, his path through the long days and nights providing care in community mental health, and how his experiences of burnout have changed over time. We also talk about the work that Matthew does in caring for men and new dads, and what he's learned about how burnout shows up for male-identified folks. There's lots of good stuff in this episode, people. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dig in. Did you hear that? Yes. (laughs) Okay, cool. It's kind of weird. I didn't realize that they started that like announcing of the recording and it always sounds <laughs> kind of odd to me. Okay. So I um, always feel a little, little weird when I start off the introductions here, but we'll just, we'll get right into it. All right. Welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg. I'm your host and I'm super excited today to be joined by a very special guest and I'd like to let them introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you, where are you, and how are you doing today? Yeah, Megan, thanks for having me. My name is Matthew Brayman, and I'm a therapist and licensed clinical social worker. I'm a founder and CEO of a brand new solo practice called Verve Psychotherapy, and I'm out of uh, Astoria, New York, and uh, so basically Queens. And, uh, you know, this morning I was feeling a bit uh, kind of foggy when I woke up, but I I guess that's kind of about how every day I feel waking up now that I'm a a new father to a five-month-old baby boy. And, you know, the night times can be a little bit rough sometimes, but, um, you know, I, I was feeling good with the coffee and a banana for, for breakfast and, and had a little, a little bit of bite to eat before you and I connected here. So, you know, every now and then I feel a bit hangry and I'm feeling much better. (laughs) Hangry. I definitely know that feeling. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining today. Um, So let's just get right into it. Um, I've got that kind of big open-ended question. Um, What is, what is your burnout journey? Where have you been? I've been, I've been up, I've been down kind of the left and right of it all. I think, um, you know, just for everybody tuning in here, I'll just share kind of where, uh, you know, my social work journey started and how I kind of 
got into social work and, and how I became a therapist and, um, you know, kind of leading up to everything now. So I've been in the field a little bit over eight years. Mm-hmm. I started off kind of taking, uh, you know, my, my social work pathway following a, a bunch of courses uh, in psychology. So I got super interested in like abnormal psych, uh, social psychology, and, you know, kind of the, the backstory before that, I had a big kind of falling from grace in my first year of college. Mm. So, you know, I, I actually managed to get a 0.0 grade point average my very first semester of college. Oh no. Oh, no. Yeah. And so that hit me hard, like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And I was full of kind of confusion about what I was doing and what direction I was going. And, and, um, you know, it definitely upset me and, you know, my family. And I had to have a long look in the mirror and kind of see what I wanted and, you know, why I wanted it. So I, I kind of got real serious after that about my studies. And that's what kind of took me into, uh, you know, one, therapy, and then two, um, you know, kind of taking courses with psychology and um, just kind of trying my best to kind of envision this career that I would be able to kind of be that wounded healer and help other people kind of avoid that big fall from grace that hit me like a ton of bricks. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I transitioned, like I said, into a bunch of psychology courses. And then uh, one of those classes I was in, somebody was asking me, like, what do I want to do with a psychology degree? And I was like, oh, I want to be, you know, a counselor for like, you know, college students so that they don't do the kind of same mistakes I did or just kind of support them in, in that period of time. Mm-hmm. So they asked me about social work if I had heard of it. And, and they said, you know, you can do counseling or therapy with a social work degree instead of, you know, taking all that school for psychology. So I got into like a 101 like intro to social work course and it totally like connected with me. I connected Mm -hmm. with social work and, you know, from there, um, you know, I got into the program and did a bachelor's of social work while I had an internship at a prisoner reentry program. Mm. And so it was a state, uh, state funded kind of private uh, partnership funded program um, statewide, but of course I was working in the like local County mm-hmm. and that was my first kind of introduction into like kind of burnout in action, right. uh, because, because I was, you know, coming in as an intern, like wide eyed, bushy tailed. And, you know, my, my role was more of a, a case management role mm-hmm. and I was shadowing the like case managers on the team and, you know, just kind of, being in that office space and kind of hearing how people would chat with each other kind of either about clients or about their workday or about, you know, deadlines of different tasks, whatever it was that they had to do. It was, it was just really like my first kind of um, introduction into, like I said, kind of burnout in action. Yeah. Um, you know, my mentors across time, um, in, in like the social work field, uh, they definitely, um, helped me kind of process things, which I was very grateful for. Um, I'll tell you a bit more about mentorship and kind of my experience of, 
conversations I had with them about burnout or um, kind of burnout recovery and self-care and things like that. But, um, you know, that was definitely like my, my first uh, kind of experience of all that. And so my time there, uh, I kind of extended once I graduated with my BSW, my bachelor of social work degree. Uh, So I worked in that same program, but as an AmeriCorps volunteer. Um, So I was like contracted for an additional year. And and for me, that was kind of my gap year between bachelor's and master's program. Mm -hmm. So I was a little bit more working on my own in that year, that gap year. Um, I had a team of peers who were also um, either in social work or psychology or um, you know, kind of related fields. And so, um, I felt like that kind of camaraderie, that group at that point in time really helped me, um, kind of keep myself sharp or keep myself taken care of. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were, uh, close with each other and connected outside of work. And so that was certainly super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my, my transition to master's program, uh, I, was in Michigan for bachelor's and grew up in Michigan. And then I moved to New York and attended New York university silver school of social work for my master's social work uh, degree. And that internship, I was working in uh, also like a similar program, but for teenagers. And, and so that was uh, a juvenile justice program for uh, probationers, young kids who are on probation in New York city. Uh, mostly working in Brooklyn. And I found that uh, kind of experience a bit more isolating because it was less of a team kind of a uh, camaraderie. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I I definitely connected with a few people I worked with. um, But the kind of role that I was playing, I was, I wasn't shadowing anymore. I was doing a lot more of my own kind of uh, therapeutic case management kind of, uh, you know, kind of, um, actually working with like solution-based casework. I know I've heard from a few of your episodes, you worked with like MST and multi-systemic therapy. So, um, you know, I definitely got the kind of, uh, you know, learning curve experience of working with the kind of evidence-based model and trying Mm -hmm. to manage, you know, home visits and uh, paperwork from, you know, kind of morning till night kind of hours. Um, You know, my... Uh, experience with burnout at that time, it was relatively just kind of like, you know, so many different classes and then internship days. And I was morning until nighttime, either in the library or in class or at my internship. Mm -hmm. Um, Also trying to explore a new city at that time. Um, And like kind of, you know, definitely uh, I, I wasn't so much connected to coworkers at that time, but I did have a small friends group and circle of friends here in the city that definitely sustained me. Um, and, you know, my kind of master's degree was a one-year program, uh, accelerated kind of advanced standing program. You graduate, it's, it's like you, you get started and it's over in a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found my first job in, uh, in mental health, working with, uh, you know, a, a large volume community mental health agency Uh, all over the five boroughs, but, um, you know, I had uh, worked at a clinic in Brooklyn. It was child and family mental health therapy. 
and um, you know definitely a lot of young early career uh, masters level you know first job out of out of the MSW program uh, type staff yep. and it was definitely kind of a, a throw yourself into the fire like here's here's the wolves kind of experience like here yep. you know learn this new electronic health record and you know here's some clients who are hurting and in pain and like their stress levels are super high it's definitely like an at-risk population um like coming from like low-income families and households and marginalized communities and cultures Mm -hmm. um multilingual uh you know it, it was definitely uh a job that i was looking for and interested in and uh, a really important stepping stone in my career. And, you know, I, I worked there a period of about six years and I'll tell you more about it throughout the time we spend here today, but it, it definitely uh, brought me to my knees a time or two. And it brought me to, you know, the mirror to have a lot of self-reflection. And, you know, I, I, I definitely wouldn't change how that experience happened in general. Uh, so I try not to regret the things, even like kind of failing early in college, you know, because it all kind of uh, put me in, uh, you know, the, the direction that I'm on and the place where I am today. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had that six years in community mental health and some life transitions took me to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I had gotten married in that six years and uh, my wife was looking for a, a you know, an extra step in her career to get a uh, fellowship for further training for, um, you know, a, a program of her choice. And it was in Atlanta, Georgia. So we moved and I got connected to a group private practice mm -hmm. and was also working part-time with a uh, crisis stabilization unit for child, children and adolescents. Mm -hmm. um, and that was definitely a, another kind of hallmark um, introduction to, um, not necessarily for myself at that time with, uh, that kind of environment, but definitely like coworkers and colleagues, uh, you know, you, you sense burnout when you see it and when you hear it and when you feel it. So, um, you know, that was definitely an environment with a fast paced, high risk, at risk population. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, the kind of split time in, in that uh, year that I was there in Atlanta, um, you know, it really kind of helped put me in the direction where I am now, especially working at the group private practice, which I found very supportive mm -hmm. and, and very burnout conscious and, you know, um, attentive to prevent burnout. Um, of course, taking all those experiences into starting my solo practice here in New York. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much that you said about your experience that I feel like I identify with, you know, like jumping kind of headfirst into the fire with some of those early experiences. Um, I haven't worked in community mental health, but I have worked for nonprofits where, you know, the populations we're working with are higher need. Um, and I, you know, in internships, I worked at a co-occurring uh, disorders clinic. And so definitely that experience of like, you're brand new to this. You have people who are, you know, in immediate need of services and you're learning literally as you go. 
and everybody is so up to their eyeballs in their own work and process that, you know, the, the camaraderie is great and it can still feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do here. There's so much. Um, right. Right. And another, another thing that you brought up is this, um, this concept or this topic of isolation and kind of loneliness in the work, especially in those types of work where it is faster paced or you're not as well connected with your colleagues and you're out, you know, maybe in the community doing the work or you are, I don't know, for a lot of people in private practice, that isolation can be difficult to deal with. Um, and I, you know, I've identified that for myself as well, that isolation and feeling lonely in the work can be, it can be a difficult thing to wrestle with while you're already wrestling with being stressed out, being exhausted, having a high caseload, um, working from morning till night, like that's a lot. (laughs) And it adds up and, you know, the weight can definitely feel heavy at times for sure. Mm, Yeah. And so I remember when we were talking in, um, I think the phone call, Zoom call prior to this, one of the, one of the ways that you sort of phrased your experience was it felt like working in a therapy factory, um, which, I mean, that stuck out to me because I, I feel like a lot of listeners will probably identify with that phrase. Um, I think it, at times it can feel a little icky to, to recognize that that's what some places end up being out of necessity a lot of the time. Right. Um, but I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit about in general, your experience having such high caseloads. And as you said, you were trying to explore a new city, like how did that manifest for you over time? Yeah. Uh, I, found myself, you know, kind of jumping into that fire, kind of meeting those wolves with a lot of drive and motivation to, you know, learn. And for me, the, the caseload, of course, didn't start so high, you know, you, you, you meet your first client. I can remember my first client in that, uh, you know, child and family mental health clinic, uh, so vividly and and clearly. And, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think over time, I, I, when I, that six years came to an end, that chapter closed and I was moving to the next chapter, I was uh, reviewing a lot of the kind of record productivity numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at that, at that clinic in that six year period, I think it was close to about uh, maybe like 12,000 total work hours. Mm. And I think it was something like uh, close to about 11,000 total clients that I serviced, which, you know, mind you, I was also, you know, different periods of time throughout that six years, I was working a lot of intake appointments. So I would meet people yeah. for one or one or two intake appointments mm-hmm. and, you know, they would uh, be assigned to a new therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, majority of that time and majority of the people I serviced and worked with, they were uh, assigned to me as their therapist. And so, you know, 10, 11,000 clients over six years. Uh, I think it was something of about close to maybe six and a half thousand direct client contact hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 
definitely some big numbers. And, you know, my, my kind of first clients starting out, I, I think I started out like kind of part-time, um, which mind you, it was a, a multilingual client population. So my, mm-hmm. my agreement with, uh, with that um, situation was that I would start out part-time and I was uh, improving my uh, Spanish conversation. I had learned Spanish in high school and then had two years of college and two and a half years of college and always uh, really enjoyed speaking Spanish. And I, I didn't use or practice Spanish for a couple of years in between. And then I got this job and had to really improve my Spanish because um, you know some clients were definitely English speaking and then many clients were either bilingual English Spanish or, or only Spanish. And so mm-hmm. my caseload eventually became about 50% Spanish speaking clients. Okay. Um, so I, so I started out kind of part-time a little while later on, my, my Spanish improved and I went full-time. And so, um, I don't think that I really noticed or came to think of that work experience as like a fact therapy factory until later on when I was, uh, promoted to a clinical supervisor position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was one of the, one of the therapists I was supervising, we were in a supervision session and I was hearing them out about A, B, or C situation. And they, they use that phrase to describe the work. And I was like, you know what, that kind of connects with me. <laughs> um, especially, you know, cause I think, um, you know, that first year I was definitely building up my caseload. And at some point in time, I think in the second year I was maxing a number close to about 85 clients yeah. and, you know, it was uh, 30 minute minimum sessions. And, you know, so I had 15, 20, sometimes 25 clients on my schedule per day oh my and, you know, working five days a week. And it was, uh, you know, like I said earlier, nothing that I would change or come to regret. It's definitely something that's informed and shaped my uh, experience along the way. So, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely uh, eventually you know, helped me feel better when, you know, the, the, the agency was starting to recognize like, Hey, we need to maybe put a cap on this, you know? Yeah. Um, so they, so they set the cap at 70 oh, okay. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this wasn't, this was not uncommon to, um, you know, different staff around the clinic. Like I, I recall there being some therapists carrying a caseload of 90, 100, clients and Mm. you know now keep it in mind like I said it's 30 minute sessions Um, many clients eventually would kind of um, you know uh, scale back from weekly visits to bi-weekly visits and things like that but Mm -hmm. um, you know definitely I had my own kind of personal motivations to uh, to to, you know move in that direction Mm -hmm. I think I I mentioned to our our conversation before, like I was, I was planning to save as much money as I could for a wedding and to get engaged. And so of course there's that kind of therapist's dilemma that we want to, um, you know, help and heal as many people that we can work with while at the same time, we want to pay our bills (laughs) and keep, keep the lights on. But of course, you know, beyond that, maybe there's other things that we want to save and invest and spend our, um, spend our life doing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I, I think I requested more clients to, to get that high. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely uh, an experience that I didn't repeat. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I was I was pulling my hair out, uh, kind of being that nine a.m., eight a.m. first, second person in the clinic, and kind of sticking around till eight thirty, nine p.m. Sometimes mm-hmm. closing down the clinic at nine thirty p.m. and then. Um, you know, for a while I was living in Brooklyn and eventually when I got engaged, I had moved in with my wife where she was living in New Jersey. So I had a really long commute. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the kind of therapy factory situation, it's, it's also, you know, I mean, you've got a community full of people who are searching for services mm-hmm. and maybe the access to those services is not as plentiful, especially for, um, you know, people who are seeking low cost therapy. And, and yeah. when, you know, you, you work in an agency setting, that's very high volume and kind of, you know, they're definitely equipped with the number of staff they hire, mm-hmm. uh, many people and, you know, the, the facility was great and, you know, state of the art kind of, um, brand new building, uh, it wasn't brand new when I started, but they, they did some construction and really, mm-hmm. um, you know, elevated their capacity to serve a huge population of people in Brooklyn, New York, which Brooklyn is the kind of most populated borough in all of New York City. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the factory part is just kind of the idea, like, you know, in my view, it's like, I remember seeing this, uh, I think it was a cartoon in uh, the New Yorker, the magazine, and it had like a, uh, an image of almost like a bank, but on the outside it said therapy. <laughs> and it had this car sitting outside, like this getaway car and these three bank robbers. And they had the caption saying like, all right, we're going to get in, we're going to get help and get out. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, so, so for me, it was kind of, it was, it was kind of that whole idea, like people are coming in, they're getting help, they're getting out, Mm -hmm. um, very high volume, very fast paced kind of environment, which of course, in the therapy room, you want to slow down. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to, you want to tune in and be attentive. And, um, you know, I, I'm fortunate in that my supervisors there, the administration there, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about, and I know you talk about on this podcast, trying to help people see and consider like kind of institutional factors or systemic factors that might contribute to burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I definitely um, had the experience of being able to either speak up directly myself or support colleagues who were going to supervisors or administration to say, Hey, like A, B or C is working well, but what about X, Y, and Z? Like that's not working so well. And what can we do? Um, You know, I mean, one or two kind of examples, um, you know, the agency was eventually willing and put in plans in place to offer like a student loan spend down uh, plan. So, you know, of course I'm trying to save money for an engagement and for a wedding and, and maybe, you know, a portion of my student loan monthly payment is covered because my employer recognized like, Hey, we have to take care of our employees. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, you know, and we'd have like working lunches. So they always made sure that we were fed. Yeah. Uh, we would have like, um, kind of staff outings, like fun activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd set up, you know, going to a baseball game, 
together watching the Yankees and the Red Sox play, or they'd have like a, you know, kind of like a, a happy hour or have like mm-hmm. a um, kind of a, you know, a bowling night or something like that. But I, I also felt while I was working there that even though, um, you know, there's this kind of like beehive that we're all mm-hmm. maybe isolated in those kind of 10 by 12 rooms and, you know, sometimes just like hurrying to get our notes done and not keeping the door open or something like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was definitely uh, an environment where the staff really um, appreciated and valued having that kind of connection with everyone. So I've I've, I've met some really close colleagues who became really good friends while I was working there. And, you know, like I said, I wouldn't change a whole lot about it, but certainly, uh, you know, things to be mindful of where, you know, if you're working 50, 60, 70 hours a week and Mm -hmm. working with 60, 70, 80 clients a week, or, you know, maybe 45 show up and you've got 40 case notes, no show notes and phone calls and missed session letters to send or, you know, things like that. It's, uh, it, it weighs on you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, in my mind about doing 40 case notes and it just like, it makes my head hurt thinking about it. Cause you know, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a group practice right now and on average, probably about 22 to 25 sessions a week. And these are full length sessions, you know, so the 53 plus minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Doing even thinking about doing the notes for those. Sometimes I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't. (laughs) So it's definitely like, there's so, there's so much to consider and balance and yeah, part of it for me, like I've never been in a supervisory role. I, I have to admit that I haven't been, I'm, I'm not, I don't have enough experience to be a clinical supervisor, but also I just haven't managed people. I haven't been in that admin type role. So when I speak of burnout, it's exclusively from, from the viewpoint of somebody who's been in the working role rather than the management role. And that's a blind spot of mine, right? Like I don't know all of the, the details that go into making a place like a community mental health agency work. And I don't know the stresses that are placed on say the clinical supervisors to help their supervisees who are probably you know, earlier career associate level, trying to figure it out, they're learning as they go and also trying to appease and, you know, report to upper management and the admins who are, you know, they have their own things that they're concerned with. So I, I think the term for me, the, the therapy factory, it's kind of a term of endearment, right? Like being in those places, um, you can find a lot of camaraderie and a lot of really close relationships with colleagues that are formed because you're, you're in it together in those places. You're, you're doing it all together. Um, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a ton of work. <laughs> Pros and cons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm also curious to hear, because I know on your website and in your social media presence, you, you list your specialties specifically as working with men and with, with new dads. Um, 
And I'm really curious to hear, I was talking with my fiance about this last night. I was like, you know, I'm talking with this guy, Matthew tomorrow, and his specialty is, is men and new dads. And I think that's really cool. And he was like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of an interesting and specific area, but it's one that you just don't hear as many people doing, at least not historically. Um, so from, from working within that specialty, what are some of the major factors that you see for men when it comes to burnout and how does that, how does that present when you're working with people or even how is it presented for yourself? Speak from my personal perspective, just for a moment, I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mentioned to you earlier, I've got a five month old baby boy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, you know, a, a new dad myself. And of course mm-hmm. I've, I've opened this practice, uh, Verve Psychotherapy, only since um, June of this year, 2021. So, um, you know, I've, I've worked with new dads in group private practice or community mental health. Um, you know, my uh, time working in the kind of inpatient crisis unit, you know, those uh, clientele, that cl- those that group of population of clients that were typically like 14 to 17. So they were the, the parents were not necessarily new parents, but um, one thing I would connect with them, which I was often um, working a lot with the parents in like the family program and doing like kind of weekly parent support groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was talking with them about like stage of transition and how like, hey, you might not necessarily, like in my mind right now, I'm thinking like, you're, you're, you know, this, this person in front of me in this group, they're, they're not necessarily like a new dad or a new parent, and they're definitely experiencing parenting at a different stage of their child's development. Mm-hmm. Um, so at each stage, of course, it's going to bring its own kind of unique challenges. And um, you know, my personal experience of becoming a new father and kind of being that co-parent and partner with my wife, like we we keep joking, people are asking us, like, hey, how are you? How's the baby? And it's, it's like, you know, like sleep deprivation never felt so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, my um, personal self, we're sleeping better through the night. My wife and I uh, being now that we're kind of past that very new newborn stage, but certainly some of the clients I've worked with who are either, you know, brand new dad, just like myself, or mm. maybe they've got like a two or a three or, you know, a four or five-year-old. Um, trying to make sure that they've got that kind of like daily routine, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to structure, you know, these competing forces between, you know, marriage and relationship or, mm-hmm. you know, parenting and parent child relationship and all the kind of new dad duties or new mom duties and, you know, work and, you know, extended family, like social life. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like, well, the past few months, it was like, what does that even mean anymore? <laughs> um, but, you know, my, my wife and I were starting to, you know, feel better with our routines, but definitely, um, you know, clients speaking with me about trying to negotiate mm-hmm. often like with their partner about, you know, who's going to be dropping kids off to daycare or who's going to be picking them up or who's going to be, you know, um, the ones doing the bedtime bath time routine. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, at the same time, like I said, those competing forces where, um, you know, maybe, maybe that couple would like to grow their family. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of how, you know, different pieces may have to fall into place. It's like, okay, well, you know, the family needs to save and budget and, you know, maybe work more hours for one mm-hmm. parent so that that can be possible while that takes them away from kind of being that um, mindfully present parent and, and co-parent. Yeah. And so that kind of push and pull uh, definitely comes up, you know, you get into the kind of relational work and the kind of, um, you know, the really like the, the emotion regulation and the kind of like trying to maximize your mindful presence when you are trying to focus at work and you've got that push pull kind of taking your attention away from doing the things that you need to do to earn that income so you can save Mm -hmm. and grow your family and, and all these things. So, um, you know, I, I, I definitely focus on factors of gender and like masculinity in my work with new dads, yeah. uh, especially how, you know, the, the kind of situation might be that, you know, over time, like burnout starting to creep in and show up and maybe especially men, we are not so, uh, you know, uh, kind of in tune or, or familiar with asking for help right? or, you know, expressing, Hey, I'm frustrated. I'm angry or I'm sad, or, you know, I'm, I'm afraid and stressed out. And so, you know, I, I definitely uh, find a lot of my clients who are, who are new dads or even parents, um, you know, with, with older children or even teenagers that, you know, it's it's really not too dissimilar from work that I'm doing with other people. It's just like this kind of specific group Mm -hmm. of people where of course, maybe the, the, the um, day-to-day challenges might be different, but when you think of therapy, or at least when I think of therapy, like, you know, emotion is going to show up. Mm -hmm. And so I I definitely um, try to bring that kind of emotion focused work and the kind of experiential work of working in the here and now, yeah. you know, doing kind of self-care check-ins and, you know, trying to make sure that there's at least a vision for mm-hmm. how to, you know, kind of negotiate and manage and navigate all these tidal waves. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, as therapists, that's our, it's our whole world not the entire world, but a big part of the world is that emotional state and those emotions coming out, talking about them, learning what they have to tell us. Um, For you, what emotions came out of you when you were experiencing burnout? Yeah. So I'm thinking to my community mental health days. I mean, I, uh, you know, I think maybe you hear my dog small little bark in the background. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, my, um, my kind of big two um, kind of experiences and run-ins with, with burnout uh, through those community mental health days. um, You know, I was definitely burning the candle at both ends. I know I'm pretty sure you're like a, a fan of that metaphor. And so Mm -hmm. um 
you know, just exhaustion. Yeah. And just feeling like I had no kind of energy left to give outside of work. And so, you know, I would, I would end my work day and kind of get a, you know, see a text message from a friend or family or see a phone call come in and click, like I would decline, like I would, I would maybe send them a text message to say, Hey, I'm, I'm just, you know, let's catch up at the weekend or, you know, um, sometimes I would just ignore it and, um, just try to circle back with them the best day, best I could the, the days following and, you know, really make sure that I was able to connect with them, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for me in those immediate kind of moments. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would ride the subway, get home and, and, you know, definitely some nights found myself a couple bottles deep into a six pack before I even ate dinner. Yeah. And, you know, I know, I know you've been open about your relationship with alcohol on the podcast and, mm-hmm. and I want to be as well. And, and so, you know, definitely feeling exhausted and, you know, just kind of depleted mm-hmm. and kind of empty that I had nothing more to give to anyone. Um, and I, I, I want to just kind of clarify, especially for the audience, like I, I didn't find myself in any kind of like uh, rock bottom situation. It was like, kind of like, okay, like this is the grind. I'm going to grind it out. This is yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, feel good, mm-hmm. feel hopeful. But right now, like in this moment, I was just not, not myself for the way that I would prefer to be kind of spending my time outside of work. And so, yeah. you know, of course you, you want to connect with your friends, your family, or, you know, the people who you're um, connected to and who are important to you. And I just didn't have that energy. Um, yeah. So it definitely, definitely took a little bit of kind of, you know, like I've said earlier, like looking myself in the mirror and, you know, being open uh, especially with, you know, the closest people to me about kind of what I was dealing with and going through. And I think by doing that, that really helped me kind of recover mm-hmm. and, you know, beyond those kind of interpersonal, like things with friends or family and, you know, um, just kind of like self-responsibility to make sure that I wasn't, um, you know, kind of filling that void with alcohol. Um, that I was definitely going to, um, kind of scale back either work hours or, you know, work smarter, not harder, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of, um, you know, doing, doing more things kind of at a higher level to, you know, higher level than just myself, like connecting with supervisors and administration saying like, Hey, like maybe we need to like press pause on this referral button. Yeah. And, you know, like, uh, you know, let my other colleagues take some, some clients. And so that was, um, one of the, the kind of burnout kind of situations. I think another one, um, that I could speak to is just kind of this, I I mentioned earlier how I had this long commute Mm -hmm. and, you know, I was, um, I was actually on like a 24 hour weekly commute. I was, I was living in New Jersey, but not like on the edge of the water right next to New York. Like it was, it was New Jersey transit train ride, like a 30 minute train ride to my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so I had that train ride. I would connect in the city to the subway and then have another, you know, long couple subway games to get to my, uh, to get to my clinic. So, um, you know, my, 
kind of signal went off when, you know, at that time I was like trying to learn French and I was um, spending a lot of time on that commute, like reading and learning French and listening and watching the videos. I remember like, I just didn't want to learn anymore. I just wanted to, you know, obviously it's different, especially like in the Midwest or elsewhere in the country where it's, you know, you don't have that subway public transit option as much as Mm -hmm. is available here in New York. So, you know, I wouldn't have to be in a car driving, focused, attentive, dealing with traffic and frustrated or just kind of, you know, responsible for turning the wheel and, you know, pushing the gas and the brake, but, you know, I could yeah. sit back on the train and I, you know, I, I, I valued those kind of commutes where I was learning French. It was um, super exciting to me. And, you know, I, I just recognized like uh, a couple days in a row, I was like, you know, it's been a while since my Duolingo was front and center or like my Rosetta stone and whatever else. Yeah. Um, and I just recognized, I was like, you know, I think this is burnout. Like I'm not really like interest, you know, it's kind of that anhedonia, like loss of interest stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I just kind of sum it all up, like exhaustion, like kind of feeling mm-hmm. depleted and empty, like the energy's gone, especially to kind of give myself to, you know, and, and attention to my relationships. And mm-hmm. then of course, you know, the kind of other situation where it was just like hey like I'm super interested in you know I, I I've learned Spanish and I was trying to add French to my toolbox and it was it was just like a moment where I was like you know this has been a couple of days yeah I gotta I gotta do something reset and kind of you know change things up so that way I can get back into the things that I enjoy yeah yeah I mean I <clears throat> I do relate to a lot of that um you know and especially with the the idea around alcohol and rock bottom, like, I think, you know, for a lot of people, they, they assume that a rock bottom has to be hit in order for a change to occur. And, you know, that wasn't really the case for me either. Um, and, and I actually, I stopped drinking prior to even really even going into internships. So I did my whole program and this whole time I've been a therapist without, But prior to that, like absolutely identifying with that sense of just feeling kind of numb or empty, or just like, this is a thing to, you know, either mindfully or not mindfully dissociate from the day that I had to disconnect from it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the, the aspect of, of alcohol and the role that that can play, like course there are many many people who use that without without issue um but similar to burnout and similar to talking about loneliness and all these things i think it's important for for folks like us therapists mental health workers to also admit we're not immune to the draw of those types of things especially after a difficult day um, or after after shit's been rough for a while, right? Like, and we just aren't quite sure what to do. We're still human. Um, and, Absolutely. and the other part of like having an outside interest and pursuing that, um, being really excited about it. And then all of a sudden realizing, you know, like, mm, I haven't done this in a while and I haven't felt that big draw toward it you know, when those other things outside of work start to fall away or the energy and time that you can put into the, 
other important people in your life starts to fall away. Like, I think I talked about this a little bit in um, some of the earlier episodes. And I actually I recorded an episode with my fiance that's coming out next week to talk with him about what that was like. And there was looking, looking forward to that. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's, it's like, I'm excitedly nervous and vulnerable, but I mean, it, it was a good conversation to, to hear, like to hear him say, yeah, you were not showing up in some of the ways that I wanted or needed. And, you know, he's like, I, I knew that and I knew what was going on. I was trying to be somewhat accommodating to that fact. And at the same time, like, you know, you're, you're part of this partnership and you are important to the things that we do together. Um, and I, it, it took me, you know, in talking to him about that to be like, yeah, when I, when I get really excited about something or when I'm in burnout mode, I become hyper-focused and a little bit um, inflexible in my ability to step away from it and give energy elsewhere. Um, I don't, I don't think that's an uncommon experience for a lot of people in this field either. Like it's so easy to get sucked into it. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, kind of like a vortex. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, the idea of a commute too. Um, so when I was living in Minneapolis, I was doing in-home work. And so I, I was in my car a lot and I had opportunities to maybe not read, but listen to professional podcasts or continuing education type things. And when I, like one of the moments when I started to notice myself burning out was, I was like, I want to listen to anything other than these professional podcasts. I don't want to hear about ACT or CBT or DBT. I'm not interested. (laughs) I'm just going to put on some really loud music and maybe sing scream a little bit before I arrive at my next appointment. Um, so that was definitely a sign for me too, where I was so exhausted from learning about and thinking about and constantly being exposed to things related to the field where I just had a sudden, like, I cannot take any more in. I can't do this. Yeah. And there, (laughs) I think like you say, like it's, it's super, um, common. I think the, uh, kind of shared experience of that. It's, um, it's really nice to see that you're bringing this podcast to, you know, what it is now and kind of moving it forward. I think, um, you know, I was super excited to be able to connect with you and, and Mm -hmm. be able to share, uh, you know, kind of this, this, uh, journey of mine, but also focus on the recovery part too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I shared with you this already. I just want to be able to share it, um, here now for the audience to be able to say like one of the, um, kind of ways that I kind of had almost like a, a twist or an adjustment in my kind of attitude towards things, especially I've heard you speak about, and we've talked a little bit about like the kind of, um, you know, the, in the moment, doing the client work, like start time, Mm -hmm. stop times of sessions and like documentation and, you know, the push and pull of different 
tasks and responsibilities, being mm-hmm. able to manage and navigate all of that. Uh, there was a psychiatrist that I was, uh, you know, colleagues with, and and they had always an open door for me if mm-hmm. I needed or wanted to go consult about a client, but more uh, of what it would turn into just because of the type of bond that we had was checking in about each other and, and, you know, how are you doing? And, yeah. um, you know, the kind of mantra metaphor, so to speak, that they shared with me really stuck. And they talked a little bit about how, you know, you've got this glass of orange juice mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that you drink your orange juice and you've got a glass of water and you, you need to make sure that you serve your water to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, cause if, if, if you serve and kind of let go of your orange juice, everyone's going to take it. They want that orange juice. Yeah. Um, but you need to be able to keep that for yourself. Um, you know, share your water, give, yeah. give that part of yourself that will nourish and hydrate your clients and give them what they need. Um, but certainly maybe they want more of your time than you can give, or they mm-hmm. want um, more of you than is possible to share. And so, you know, that to me, like, uh, has always stuck with me and, and kind of helped me try to just kind of visualize and, and also just uh, keep me grounded in yeah. trying to protect my orange juice. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, thinking of, Yeah. I mean, the water itself is absolutely, it's vital, you know, everybody needs hydration and we're able to give that to clients, but yeah, if we overgive and we pour out all the water into them and they want more and we give them that orange juice, it's like, we're not getting any of that goodness. And that's also acknowledging that, you know, we want to, in our work, try to help our clients come to a place where they have their own glass of orange juice that they can drink from, you know, and then they can start to give their water to others as they see fit while keeping their good stuff for them. It's like that kind of, it's a nice energy exchange. I like that. Yeah. I I do remember as well, us talking on the phone or through Zoom, wherever it was, this, the pre-call call, um, where you were talking about another mentor who I think this was earlier on in your career and um, yeah. you were listening to them and they said that they didn't believe in burnout. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it, it um, listening to your kind of first episode really made me want to share this with you mm-hmm. uh, or maybe it was your, I don't know which episode it was early. One of the very first few ones I'm um, talking about like how burnout was this kind of foreign concept that, yeah, you know, it can't happen to you. It happens to other people, which is like a phenomenon for so many things in life. And then boom, it happens. And mm-hmm. we're like ill prepared, not prepared for it, or it's mm-hmm. just like so overwhelming and takes us over. So yeah, it was, um, this was while I was a, in the bachelor of social work program and kind of in that internship with the prisoner reentry program. And, you know, definitely in the office space or kind of in that work culture of, you know, being able to witness and observe others and their burnout Mm -hmm. kind of moments or weeks and months and periods of time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This, uh, this was a mentor who, you know, I definitely don't want to 
make it seem like I'm splitting him that he's all bad in no. how he made this comment but he was on a panel discussion you know speaking to a large audience of the social work program mm -hmm. um, and he had made the comment to say you know like uh, you know someone someone asked the question to the panel and he took the liberty to answer the question was something like you know uh, what do you do about burnout and mm -hmm. how to prevent burnout you know like do you have any advice and his response was saying like burnout is not real burnout mm. is not possible because of self-care right and you know i think having that kind of relationship with him that i did um and i'll say one of the positive things um he would meet with me frequently not like a direct supervisor um you know, he was kind of more higher up in, in administration, but the um, kind of one positive part that really stuck out to me was he would always tell me to always make new mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of the idea like, you know, you make a mistake, accept it, learn from it, never make the same mistake twice. Mm -hmm. um, that piece of advice really stuck with me from my mentor relationship with him. But when mm -hmm. I, when I heard him speaking about how burnout wasn't a thing, I was I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I'm going to trust what he's got to say. Like burnout's not a thing because of self-care. Yeah. And, you know, come to find out not too long, a couple of years later on, I found myself, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know about like severe or like how intense it was, but definitely burnt out. And I think like yeah. we've said earlier, it's just such a common experience. And of course it can happen to you. Of course it can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what sticks out to me too, is there is, you know, the very obvious necessity of preventive self-care, you know, and, and they, sure. at least in my program that was talked about a lot. And I, I think really for good reason, you know, because if you're not preparing new graduates and new therapists to understand that it truly is important to focus on even just the fundamentals of taking care of yourself, um, you know, that. I don't think that would be super ethical if that wasn't focused on. So there is that preventive aspect to it. Um, but what I think what it doesn't do is it doesn't take into account all of the outside influencing factors that are beyond the control of the individual or that cannot necessarily be remedied by a self-care day or a vacation you know, life events that may happen that require extra time, attention, energy. I mean, even a positive life event, like being a new parent that requires, I mean, I mean I'm not a parent, so I don't know for sure. Oh but yeah. You're, you're hitting <laughs> the nail on the head. Keep going. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it takes so, so much or, you know, being a new parent, um, beginning a new relationship with your own parents, perhaps as a caregiver for them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, maybe there are financial struggles that your family has and you need to move or you have that additional stress of a partner losing their job. Um, so self-care is, it's an amazing thing to have and to be able to participate in. And there's, there's always going to be this stuff that we just can't have full control over. Um, and so 
I mean, I would love to meet the therapist who has never experienced even a hint of burnout because their self plan, self self care plan was so good. But <laughs> I'm inviting that person to come onto the show and talk to me because I want to know their secret. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's good to me. And I'm, I always feel so honored, you know, and there, there's definitely a privilege in having people reach out, or if I've reached out to somebody, people who have agreed to come on and talk about this stuff, because even though we are processing through it and normalizing it for ourselves, there's still this sense of, you know, it still doesn't feel okay to be super open and public about acknowledging that this work that is for many people a calling can feel really, really hard sometimes, um, or that we struggle to do it or that there are things that get in the way. So. Yeah. And I I think, you know, just kind of like reaching into a current event, for example, like with uh, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, uh, you know, for the, situation they found themselves in they made a decision to prioritize their self-care their yeah you know to to protect and preserve their mental health and Mm. there was so much pressure and so much backlash and um if you're listening here and now uh i want to let you know like simone biles you know any other superstar athlete like (laughs) You, me, us, like we are all human and yeah. we are all, uh, you know, potentially vulnerable and fragile. And, mm-hmm. you know, the um, world that we live in, just super general, um, it's unforgiving sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, then you look into, um, you know, especially working in community mental health and, and, budgets and budget cuts and funding and Mm -hmm. you know there's many times expectations to do more with less and I I, you know take a a page out of one of the kind of chapters or or you know books from my kind of master's degree program I had this really awesome course uh, with the president of NASW at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a professor at NYU. Her name is Jean Anastas, Dr. Jean Anastas. And there was this course in, in DC, in Washington, DC with the NYU campus there. It was called uh, Federal Issues in Action, like social work policy. And uh, it was like legislative issues and social work policy. Yeah. And so we all had like briefings from DC policy experts for the first part of the course, second part of the course was that we had legislative appointments set up on our behalf through NASW. And we got to go lobby to our own legislators, like representatives and senators. Um, didn't speak directly with them. Of course, we met with like their legislative directors and, yeah. you, know, you know, kind of lower uh, from the very top uh, representatives in their office. So, mm-hmm. you know, we would advocate for different issues that we were briefed on like at that time it was like comprehensive immigration reform or um, social security medicare and medicaid Mm -hmm. you know there was all that kind of um, noise about it um, 
being insolvent and had to make cuts. And, and mm-hmm. so of course, you know, that is as a social safety net, huge relevance to social work and people that social workers serve, mm-hmm. um, which could be anybody. And so, you know, the other kind of piece of that course that we were briefed on and, and we're lobbying our legislators was the uh, Dorothy I. Height and Whitney M. Young Social Work Reinvestment Act. Mm-hmm. And I noticed recently that I think it's uh, Barbara Lee is the representative of California who introduced that um, kind of social work reinvestment um, stuff into a recent bill where it's not the same bill, but it got picked up. Anyway, what it's doing is putting in funding to research social work as a profession Mm. and a lot of energy to help improve the profession in how we can um, you know, build that capacity to serve the people that need our services yeah. and can benefit from our services while we're also taking care of the resources that provide those services like us as social workers. So, yeah. you know, I would speak to, you know, yeah, self-care is important and that kind of community organizing, community involvement, um, you know, social public policy engagement piece is also super mm-hmm. important. So that's, of course, above like the kind of administration level of, you know, going to your supervisors or going to influence change with your employer. If mm-hmm. you uh, find yourself on the short end of the stick. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that um, because there there is a large part of this. And I've talked with other people about this as well. You know, there is a whole, a whole system built around social workers and mental health counselors and other providers that if you don't know the channels through which you can affect change, it can feel so sticky and just like, ah, you know, like it goes all the way to the top and I have no idea how to get to the top. So I'm just very, I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to sit down here and just feel kind of helpless about it. So, I mean, I, I love connecting with people who you know, either through school opportunities or community organizing or through connections that they've made or just their own research, they find ways to get a little higher up there and, and advocate and try to create some of that change that will benefit not only them, but just future generations of people doing this work. Definitely. Yeah. So I wonder if uh, this might be a bit too broad of a question, but do you have any general suggestions for social workers or counselors or people in this profession as a, as a way to take those first steps if they want to affect greater change at a systemic level? Like, what would you recommend doing first? Uh, making connections. Okay. Absolutely. So, you know, the uh, kind of project that I mentioned with you Um, Like I, for example, and a couple other colleagues were starting and forming like a peer consultation group. Yeah. Um, So, you know, like that's one particular project that that I'm focused on that I recognize like going into this solo practice um, kind of journey, like I'm going to be isolated. Mm -hmm. I need to have community of like-minded colleagues who are also mental health professionals that I can, um, you know, maybe it's like a direct case consultation for, you know, clients I'm working with, Mm -hmm. or, 
you know, maybe it's also like, um, you know, kind of business strategy and marketing, things like that, or, Mm -hmm. or really just like, you know, having people who can relate to you. And so I think getting into, you know, those kinds of um, networking and connections and, and community groups, of course, there's going to be so many seeds that are planted from within those groups. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think like you, I'm part of so many different online therapist groups. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to keep track of them all, but the people who, you know, I've connected with through there, um, there's opportunities and, you know, you're, you're talking about like, you know, larger levels or systems of influence. I think, um, you know, finding obviously things that make you move and things that, you know, kind of fuel your passion and, and, and finding the connections of people who share those kinds of um, perspectives or, or kind of needs and, Mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of, I think this is all kind of like, you know, when I say it out loud and I'm thinking about it, maybe it's kind of boiled down and simplified, but really just kind of making connections and yeah. finding the people that, you know, you can, um, you know, put your head together with, talk about things, um, kind of strategize together. Because of course you think about like these larger systems and, you know, one person, like you said, not maybe not knowing the channels, maybe someone else does. Yeah. And, you know, you can kind of water that seed together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, especially because, you know, we talk about um, some of the major contributing factors, both to a decrease in mental wellness and an increase in burnout is that sense of being isolated or separate from the communities that really help you thrive or where you meet people who, who you can connect with. So, yeah, I mean, I've obviously through this podcast, I've found some really awesome people to connect with. And, you know, hopefully after this, that we don't just hang up and that's that, like, I consider you definitely a professional connection here. And I think that building that through, yeah, building it through things like a podcast or, you know, those Facebook groups, I, I know which ones you're talking about. Some of them are great. Some of them are like, okay, we're just gonna gonna step away from this a little bit. Um, (laughs) Mute that one. Yeah. Yeah. Turn, I'll the, check turn in the notifications that. off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's like, you know, we um, have an opportunity to do something through this podcast together, you and I, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I know you're connecting with so many other professionals who are going to bring value to this podcast and hopefully so many other people who will tune in and, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's going to have their, own experience, their own journey and mm-hmm. you know, their own suggestions. So I'm definitely looking forward to more. Yeah. Yeah. And I also want to plug, cause I know you mentioned this at the beginning. Um, another thing that I think is really cool that other people do is um, finding a way to bring information to others. So for me, it's partially been through this podcast, but you also mentioned for yourself, you're working on an ebook right now. Um, so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. I, um, it's preliminary, kind mm-hmm. of early stages. So yeah, I'm, I'm focused on taking a little bit of what's already available on my website through my kind of frequently asked questions page where I have a list of self-care resources. Mm-hmm. And I also have like resources posted there for men, for women, for 
LGBTQIA and trans non-binary folks and for mm -hmm. couples and for anti-racism. Um, you know, I'm really trying to kind of take a little bit of that uh, value that I believe is added to my website just by being posted there and, mm -hmm. and uh, put that into something that's easy to download and easy to yeah. share and hopefully easy to access so that people can have, a, you know, kind of an idea of different self-care activities or concepts, strategies, or, or mm -hmm. you know, more specifically like a list of resources. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm super excited to, um, you know, kind of move these plans forward. Uh, thanks for bringing it up. I'm definitely yeah. excited to, to share that and put that out there into the world. And, um, you know, I think in general, like, um, I didn't necessarily have like a big exposure to therapy growing up. Um, you know, I kind of later stages of my uh, late childhood, kind of early adulthood found myself meeting with a therapist. And so um, I think the earlier that we find uh, these kinds of connections to mental health and mental health and wellness and, you know, health promotion, mm -hmm. um, whether that's through therapy or through, you know, kind of self-care, um, it's, these are things that are not generally, I don't know, at least in my experience and in, in kind of knowing people I'm connected with, it's not so much a part of the conversation in so many different families or communities and schools. And so, um, you know, I want to put that out there and hopefully mm. help someone lean into maybe some suggested self-care kind of activities and things that they can do to take care of themselves that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have thought of or considered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when, when that comes out, definitely let me know and I'll, I'll share it out to the audience here and I'll be able to go awesome. back and edit the show notes and put that in there. But I know, cool. um, yeah, having, having resources wherever available, always a good thing. Um, so I want to be mindful of the time, but I do have just sure, one, sure. one last question if you're up for sure. it. Um, absolutely. So before we close things down, uh, maybe what's, what's one, one last thing that you want the audience to know about, about burnout, maybe like a last piece of inspiration or an insight that you've had related to your work or your personal experience. What do you, what do you want people to know? Yeah, I, uh, so I recently kind of came back to this kind of mantra, uh, something of a situation I was working with a client and it, it just seemed to me like an important kind of piece of feedback to share with them and, you know, kind of debriefing, doing my own little meditation kind of after that session, I've, I was just reminded of it more fully. So I have a great uncle who's passed away and he shared with me so many times over the years growing up this mantra that he found like useful and helpful for him. Uh, it was ABC, NBC. Mm -hmm. And ABC is this kind of this idea, like always be curious. Mm -hmm. And NBC is never be complacent. Mm. And so for me, you know, over the years, maybe I didn't fully understand or recognize it, but eventually I just started to kind of piece things together and um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of working with like internal family systems therapy, like IFS and doing parts work. Um, so, you know, try to find that curious part of you, mm -hmm. 
always be curious about everything and, and especially burnout, yeah. um, especially trying to practice and perform self-care. I, I also like to kind of highlight and emphasize the performance Mm-hmm. kind of the idea like yeah like this idea like oh practice just practice self-care it's like well there's also kind of the maybe next level of, of like performance it's like you got to put the practice into action yeah um so yeah i think always always be curious never be complacent as if to say um you know keep learning keep growing mm-hmm. kind of have that attitude of gratitude that we've got this opportunity to wake up with an, a new day the next day Mm-hmm. and kind of build on everything from even even the bumps in the road yeah i like that thanks for sharing thanks for asking i've i've had a great time being here in this space with you yeah yeah it's been wonderful i i enjoy the conversation a lot this is this is great so thank you again for joining um and yeah i hope you have a good rest of your day hope you have an <laughs> awesome day too i want to i want to thanks everybody for tuning in and um you know, certainly looking forward to more of your podcasts. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode because I definitely did. Um, and I hope that in listening to this, you know, it, it starts to inspire some conversation um, either with yourself or with your own family, partners, friends, all those folks who are in this with you, supporting you through burnout or trying to help you um, prevent ever getting there. I just, I hope that this can be a good conversation starter. Uh, another thing that I am hoping is if these conversations have inspired you or if you feel like you want to join in on the conversation, I would love to have your voice added to this show. Uh, I am actively looking for people who are interested in showing up as guests on the show to either share their personal burnout story or to share uh, things that they have learned while working in the field, uh, helping others through burnout. And I just, I really want to encourage you, you know, if you've been thinking about it or wondering about it, wondering if you'd even be a good guest on the show, uh, the answer is probably yes. You know, I want to hear from you. I, I want to keep having these conversations so that we can keep pushing this forward and pushing for the change that we need. Other than that, if you enjoy the show and you're looking to connect off of the show, you can find me on Instagram at mentalstatuspod. Um, I'm always looking for feedback on the show. So if you have any comments or questions about what you heard today, you can send me an email at mentalstatuspod at gmail.com. If you like today's show, go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We are now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. So hit that subscribe button, leave a review, share these episodes, connect on social media, send me an email, do it up however you do. I just, I find it so valuable to connect with my listeners and I want to make sure that I'm hearing from you. Until next time though, I hope you stay well and take care of yourselves as best you can. I'll see you next time. Bye.